on the third day of Christmas, Moose brings to me Steve Rudzinski to talk his third installment in the Karis Hell Trilogy. Welcome, Horror Hounds, to day three of the 13 horrifying days of Christmas. I'm your host and gift giver, Moose. Today's gift, we give you the gift of completion. And with that, we revisit the Carnival of Terror and look back at Carousel with our special guest, Steve Rudzinski. Hey, everyone. Glad to have you back. Happy to be back. I am ready to talk about some weird movies that I've made. Very weird movies indeed. And uh, yeah, Carousel 3 is out. This is... You know, the, the, the Duke trilogy, as it were. Yes, sir. And, you know, it, it really is. You, you see this full, you know, story, you know, this full completion of, you know, this evil horse to hero, you know, villain to hero through the course of these three movies. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's definitely good. It's a fun story arc. Um, When... You sat down with the first one. Was it was the plan to do a three arc movie to get him from this killer car- carousel horse to now he's a hero in the story? We definitely had the three arc story in mind, but I will say that when we were writing Carousel One, we were already writing Carousel One kind of with the intent that he was the hero of that story. He was a bad person, but he was already basically meant to be the protagonist. Um, and I knew he would be attack. We would be in the second film. He would be fighting Nazis, you know, something far worse to kind of start the face turn, as it were, you know, going from a, a heel or even a tweener to a face. Um, but that was definitely planned because of the inspiration I was taking from Puppet Master 3. You know, you have these puppets basically being the baddies in the first two movies. And then by three, they're fighting Nazis. And now they're heroes uh, for the next several films at that. So... We knew Duke was going to have that turn, but from our point of view, we always were writing the story with the intent that Duke is the protagonist. Like, he's the hero, even if he's the bad person in one. Um, And then with two is where we wanted to do the whole turn in itself. Like, Carousel 2 is really where Duke's arc um, grows a lot into realizing he was wrong, wanting to be a better person, and taking the steps to do that. And by three... To a degree, his arc is almost closed. Like, he is already redeemed. He has already been doing better. He has changed. He hasn't, like, relapsed or anything like that. And it's more so just, as opposed to completing the arc of him being a hero, it's more like, okay, he completed his arc of becoming a hero. That doesn't make the bad stuff that he did go away. And that's what the point of three is. Like, mm-hmm. how he's able to face face the sins of his past, basically. And how he's able to deal with that and if he's able to make up for that in any way possible. I say three definitely talks a lot about the uh, collateral damage of Mm -hmm. his uh, career. And I, I, now there's four endings to this movie. (laughs) Yes. And we'll, we'll, we'll get more to that here in a little bit, but I don't remember which ending it is. One of them really drives home that collateral damage aspect because you have, you know, Joe, who's fighting the bad guys, 
who can just take out the bad hairs. Yeah. And then there's Duke, who kills the people that the hairs are attached to. So there's still that element of the the like extreme violence, you know. So mm-hmm. it, it, it was it was really fun to watch, you know, because there's still like I said that element of just rapid fire, just get it done. The the kills yeah. were amazing. Don't get me wrong, you know. But it, it's he hasn't fully grasped the idea of hero. Well, I, I will say that that's a very fair interpretation. But I I will clarify that the bunnies are on dead bodies. They are already dead. So Duke did not kill anyone innocent. I literally came up with the idea for this script specifically because I was like, okay, people are going to want to see Duke kill people, but Duke doesn't do that anymore, yeah. so how can we do that? Okay, these bunnies, they control bodies, so there, boom, Duke can destroy yeah. these bodies that the bunnies are controlling. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I literally had to, like, come up with the reason why, because I, like, like there, I always will tell the story I want to tell. You know, like, I don't... I'm insane. Like, people saw how divisive 2 already was, never mind how much weirder I got with 3. But there there will always be that level of, I do want to give the fans some of what they want. So I knew Duke had to tear oh, yeah. some people apart. Uh, and I, I thought that we came up with a really fun, good idea to do that with the bunnies. Well, and it, it's funny because, like, my, my daughter, uh, my oldest is watching it with me. <laughs> and there's, there's a scene where... Uh, Joe shoots somebody. Yeah. And uh, the, the the mom, I can't think of her name right now, uh, doesn't Judy. react. Yeah, Judy doesn't even react. It's just kind of, ah, someone got shot. Big deal. And she's like, there's no reaction. And then that, that cuts into, like, Duke's spree of murder. And I'm I'm over here in my chair. I'm like, oh, God. You know, she's like, yeah, that, that's a reaction. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, he's saving it for the viewer. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, Judy is just happy that she got rescued. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, like, she doesn't care about this guy that was about to shoot her in the head getting stopped. Right. You can argue, you can argue she's in shock. Uh, that wasn't explicitly my intent. My, my intent was just more so like, Judy doesn't care right now. Right. <laughs> ZFG, zero fucks given. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's happy to be alive. Exactly. <laughs> this movie, specifically, if you like puns, <laughs> and if you like drinking games, it, it could be a dangerous combination. Um, no, I, I loved the uh, pun usage in this movie. It was... Mwah. When I when I got to watch Carousel 3 live at Cinema Wasteland with like a near full house... And the mix of laughs and groans on every pun. By like, we were two-thirds way into the movie and it happened again. And I just said out loud, I'm not going to stop, guys. I don't know, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to keep happening. Have you just, seen these movies? Just relish in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just fun. You know, that's something Aline and I have loved to do since the first film. And then even more so in the second film, and now in three, we're just like, we just got to keep going all in. Like, we love the puns. We love that sense of humor. It fits so well with the tone of this series that um, we, like, especially for, like, Radical Rat, we were, like, Googling words that kind of sound like rat. We were Googling rat puns. Like, we were trying to just make a list of as much stuff we could, like, push into the script as possible. Never mind the bunnies and, you know, even more unicorn stuff or... Or anything like that. 
Well, and, I, the, I, the, I, the title is a pun, you know, like. Well, and I, I do need to throw a shout out. Radical Rat was voiced by frequent guest Billy Peck. Hell yeah! Uh, and Billy did a great job. Yeah, that 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 was really cool to watch. But yeah, as, honestly, with as often as it was said, I was kind of surprised this movie like wasn't called Carousel Three, a bad hair day. <laughs> You know, because, I mean, that that was the one that was driven home a lot. And I was like, yes. that's what I call a bad hair day. And it's like, just... Yeah, we dropped that twice. Picturing that on, like, a one sheet screams, like, 80s action film. Yeah. You know, and it's like, man, I want that poster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, that that's like a Stallone or a, you know, that, if, that if, if Schwarzenegger film. Post- if we get an art poster made of three as like a special edition, I will toss that on as a tagline. It's like, cause yeah, that, that is 100% like an eighties tagline film. It's like carousel three, a bad hair day. It's like, yeah, but no, it's, you know, we, we, we start on this, you know, action romp and, and I had to, I got to ask who was of all the characters in this, which one was the most fun to write for? Mm, I mean, it's going to seem biased, but I, I, I want to preface this for anyone that might be, you know, watching, listening to this episode that isn't familiar with the Carousel movies or the backstory. I never wanted to play Joe. I was bullied into it. I didn't want to fucking act in Carousel 1 at all. Uh, the Elaine Isley, the co-writer, Scott Lewis, the cinematographer, and then, you know, Rob Steinbuck, the producer, all forced me to be Joe. Um, but that happy accident did turn into what the third film is. So Joe ended up being my favorite character to write in this movie. Like I, I poured a lot of heart and soul into Joe's arc and Joe's pain, but also Joe's like insanity. Like it was really important to me that like, like fans have been on my ass for years. Like Joe doesn't have to be dead. He could come back with an eye patch. And I kept on saying for years, Joe is dead. That's the, that's the intent. Joe is dead, but they were on me for so long. And when I, I realized the themes of Carousel 3 was meant to be consequences. I was like, okay, I can bring Joe back, but he's not going to be silly Joe that you all like. He's going to be fucking crazy now and obsessed with vengeance and really angry. Good old and crazy I, Joe. Yes. Uh, so I, I thought Joe was the most fun to write for because I could just go all in on that insanity and like over-the-top parody levels of, like, rage or, like, Batman vengeance and focus while still balancing that with genuinely emotional moments, you know? Like, Joe breaking down is meant to be very sincere and earnest, Mm -hmm. and uh, so far, a lot of people have commented on the fact that it got to them a little bit. You know, not that it was waterworks everywhere, but, like, they felt the emotion in that scene, and it wasn't just a gag. So I'm glad that worked out, because that was the point. And the fact that I'm able to balance someone that's saying lines like, I could just punch them to death, with him breaking down sobbing, and people are like, yes, I believe this character. I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> let's do this. Well, and with, with with this version of Joe, I saw a lot of shades of, like, um, Duke from uh, the Friday the 13th uh, franchise. Yes, yes. And, you know, just that kind of grizzled old... I don't give a damn. This is my mission. This is where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And as you know, as a horror fan, that was really fun to watch. 
you know, uh, somewhat, and... somewhat unrelated, but since you brought it up, I actually referenced Creighton Duke in Amityville Christmas Vacation. <laughs> the hunter's name is Creighton Spook. <laughs> <laughs> I love Creighton Duke. I wish if if Creighton Duke was the protagonist of Friday the Thirteenth Part Nine, that would be in my top three Friday movies easily because he is such a great character. Yes, that I wish it was just him hunting and fighting and beating the shit out of Jason for ninety minutes. One hundred percent would have been amazing. Yes. Instead, it's like this guy showed up. And is like, yeah, I've been hunting Jason for years, and Jason's like, who the fuck are you? I don't know who you are. <laughs> Whatever, well, it's fine. I hunt in the shadows. <laughs> but yeah, yeah uh, my big—I will say—my biggest inspiration for Joe was the Ben Affleck Batman from Batman v Superman. You know, it is—you know—I wanted a character that had that level of like obsession. You know, someone that wasn't necessarily this crazy or willing to do bad things to get his revenge, and that was like the most go-to inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where my where Alina Isley even said when I was when it was like I got the outline ready, she was like, "This better not just be Bad Baby Superman." I'm like, "It's not. There's two scenes that are because I want the joke to be clear, but that's it." And she was happy with what I came up with. But that's... whenever I was, if I was ever in doubt, that was my go-to. Like, what would Ben Affleck say here with a, with a voice modulator? <laughs> Which, hands down, one of my favorite scenes. You have Duke t- kind of talking like this the whole movie. Just that, that I'm Batman. Just that laryngitis thing. And then end of the movie. <coughs> oh, I've had that stuck in my throat for a really long time. You know, it's like, yes! <laughs> I am glad that that is the joke I had in mind the whole time. And it wasn't in the script. And I didn't tell anyone about it until I did it live during the take. And uh, it killed. I had a I had a good response from it, so I knew it was a good joke, and everyone comments on it, so I'm so happy I came up with that. I'm so happy I did that, because it's just funny to me, because Joe didn't talk like that in the first movie, but Joe talking like, like Snake Plissken makes sense for this movie. Yeah. I couldn't just pretend that it's natural, so it's just like, oh, this would be funny. Oh, yeah, it's like, okay, and there, <laughs> there has to be a reason. Oh, yes. I got something stuck in my throat. <laughs> yes. For... Days. <laughs> Four endings. Mm-hmm. Which is your favorite? A, B, C, or D? Uh, I mean, C is where all the heart is. You know, that is obviously the true ending of Duke's story, of Joe's story. Um, we get to see the epilogues, you know. Or, or you could argue that the epilogues are part of ending D. I wouldn't fight you either way. Um, but, like, C does get to me a little bit like i was tearing up when i was writing it honestly um and it's not that emotional or anything like that but just like the concept of it because this is something aline and i first came up with in 2014 you know this is something that we didn't get to we wrote in 2015 we didn't get to make it in 2015 and then we finally made it in 2016 and now here we are almost 10 years after we first came up with the idea um getting to this insane in this insane journey that you would have never predicted where the first movie was just a slasher movie with a carousel unicorn and then we get to the scene where like this man that was obsessed with trying to kill duke is outright saying to duke like you know it was my fault too i forgive you and duke saying like that doesn't change anything and joe's like i can't stay on it they shake hands um he says goodbye to robbie you know you know this child who's an innocent and and everything's good it's like an actual happy ending it's not there's not a damn cliffhanger there's not 
you know, like, oh, watch out for next time. Like, it is truly mm -hmm. a conclusive ending for all these characters. They're all in a better place than they were the last movie or the movie before that. And I, I really, really like how it all came together. Like, I'm really proud of how it all came together. I will say ending hypes me up, and I made the movie, though. Like, when that music is hitting, I'm, I'm losing my mind because it's so cool and so weird. And I put so much money into ending D for a joke. Uh, that's like the most expensive scene I've ever put in any of my movies ever. And it's for a post credit scene joke that, like, most people probably won't even watch if they're watching on Tubi or something. Um, so that one's fun. But that is not Carousel 4. Some people have misunderstood that. That is just a gag that could be the future. Nine movies from now. I said that, that that's Robbie's story. That's not Duke's exactly, story. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it, it's mostly just the fact of how many people have been also been on my ass saying, like, Carousel should be in space. You need to make one in space. And I keep on saying, that's really expensive, guys. Like, that is significantly more money than I've ever had to make a movie if I want to make a whole movie in space. So with this, technically speaking, Carousel went to space. Shut up. Stop it. Leave me alone. Because <laughs> if we if we do get to make more carousels, don't get me wrong, like, we could make more. You know, we do have more story that we could tell that isn't just sequels for the sake of sequels. You know, the next, there would be, there could be another trilogy that is more, much more so Robbie's trilogy. And the scene from Ending D still would not be in the next three movies. You know what I mean? Like, we would yeah. still have a lot of growth and story here on Earth before we're flying off into the cosmos. <laughs> Well, and you could also, if you wanted, do some more backstory on Usagi. Yeah, I mean, that came up on, like, Twitter or you know, X um, a, a couple days ago of just, like, if I had the money and the success to the point where I was having MCU levels of output... Yeah, there's so much I could do with just the Cares Hell characters, never mind all my other movies. Like, I could do a side... A spinoff movie that's about Usagi being a slasher killer. I could do a movie just about the bunnies, because we see a bunch of bodies in three that like we didn't see earlier in the film, so where did they all come from? Well, the bunnies attacked a bunch of innocent people. How did mm -hmm. they deal with that? We could do a movie about just mascot fighting multiple yeah. um objects. Uh I wanna I, if I have the time, you know, we're writing something new right now, but if I have the time, I would love to do at least a short for Steve Buster showing Radical Rat fighting and defeating the Nutcracker that we hear about. But we'll see. There's no promises, but I'd, I would like to do that for next year. Um, like, I, And I think that's one of the things I like a lot about the Karis Hell movies, is that like, it starts off so simple. It is just a slasher movie with a Karis Hell unicorn instead of a guy in a mask. Um, it's a killer object movie. But even in the first one, we're already dropping little seeds that there's more to it than that. And now by three, there's all this fucking lore... There's all this, like, built-on world-building, um, and I love how it turned out, personally speaking. Uh, I think that adds a lot to a film, but I, that's what I like in movies, too, though. So, you know, I know that there's definitely some people that are on, like, Letterboxd, or some people that, you know, were fans of the first one or something, that, that wish every movie was just a slasher movie starring Duke, and they hate all the extra stuff, but, like, I would have never made these if that's all the movies would have been. I love that there's so many layers and there's a bigger world and all these different moving parts. To me, that's what's interesting in movies and storytelling. Well, and it, it keeps you going. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and... Like, sign me up for Nightmare on Elm Street when, like, in part four, they're introducing the concept that, oh, actually, there's a positive 
there's a positive gate that has a guardian and a negative gate that has a guardian, and that's actually why Freddy has all of his powers. Mm -hmm. And also, this random woman is the new... She inherited the powers of the positive gate, and she's the same thing Freddy is, except not evil. And it's like, fuck yeah! Like, I, lo I love yep. mythos and lore like that. One of my favorite shots in Carousel 3, when I, when I first watched it, I thought I was seeing things. Okay. Until later, when you saw it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And you realize, no, that was on purpose. Duke and Robbie are at, I think, the park. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Joe's in the background, way background, mm -hmm. just kind of pacing back and forth, talking to himself. And from that angle, it just looked like somebody just wandered onto the screen. You know, yeah. just like, what the, what the fuck's going on? You know, and then uh, Joe gets introduced. Later... It flips, and the camera's focused on Joe, and no, it's very intentional. He's, you know, pacing out he's his ideas. His mind, yeah. yeah, he's going, he, he's doing what I thought I was doing, and is going batshit crazy. <laughs> and, you know, you see Duke and Robbie off in the background, you're like, whoa, that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really liked the idea of doing this. Is, I mean, this is an idea I've had for a while, and I wasn't sure how I could do it. The idea of having a film that has multiple stories that are separated but overlap sometimes, and they each have their own ending. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how can I do multiple endings in a movie? That's a video game thing. How the hell do I do that in a movie? But when I started running the outline for Carousel 3, I was like, this is, this is how I do it. This is when I do it. This is like my only chance. There's going to be a lot of people that don't like this, or at least don't like all aspects of it, but I love this idea. Um, the initial inspiration was um, Yoko Taro is a video game creator, mm -hmm. and he's made a bunch of games, the Guard series, but specifically Nier Automata did this idea where it was like multiple stories um, from different character perspectives. Each one has its own ending, and then they all meet up at the end, and then you can get the true endings and what have you. For simplicity, I took more actual writing inspiration from Resident Evil 2 on the PS1, where you had the A story and the B story with, like, Claire and Leon, where they had pretty separate stories yeah. with only, like, two times when they met during the game. Um, because if I tried to write it like Nier Automata, this movie would make no goddamn sense. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but that was the inspiration. You know, like, I always, I always try to be, like, upfront and honest about that. Then, you know, that's where the... the um, the ending names definitely came from because mm -hmm. Nier did the same thing where it was like it was like a line from the story and just one of the letters had parentheses around it and that was the ending it is A, B, C, D, or what have you. Um, and so writing those concurrent stories was one of my challenges for sure because it was just like, okay, so what scenes are they going to meet up and then like what's sort of the timeline for each character? And I was able to figure out really well... Um, and again, I, I'm, I'm proud of how it turned out. You know, we only have... If, if you actually count the time of the exact scenes that are reused, it's only like two minutes and 30 seconds. It's only like two minutes and 30 seconds of completely reused footage. Um, and some folks say that they could have done without that. And I understand, you know, it could be repetitive. But to me, that's so vital to the story and the themes and the intent of the movie is that, yeah, it's the same scene. But now you have like eight new layers of context that you mm -hmm. didn't have the first time you saw the scene. And to me, that makes the scene, you know, 
interesting in a new way now. It was very uh, uh, Pulp Fiction-esque. Okay, yeah, thank you. Cool. You and know, I, I would do little things, too, like when Joe and Duke fight the first time, you know, it's the it's it's the fight, and you hit, you have the rock music, but the fight is, the first half of the fight is shot focused entirely on Duke, and Duke's shots, and mm-hmm. Duke's flashbacks, and then in the B story, when we're on Joe, now the cameras are focused completely on Joe, and Joe's memories, and Joe's flashbacks, and now the music has lyrics, because we're growing the scene. Mm-hmm. Just little stuff like that, you know. I, 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 it was one of those things where I recognized that it might seem a little repetitive, but I still try to shoot and cut things a little bit differently so that it would still be fresh. We live in a world where exposition is an issue, but mm-hmm. in this case, the, the way the exposition was done, it just it, it builds to the final climax. You know, you had mm-hmm. a little nugget here, a little nugget there, and then the next ending you kind of put it all together and then you keep going and then you have this jigsaw puzzle of an ending and it all fits because i think without you know duke's flashbacks and joe's flashbacks mm-hmm. the the true like heartfelt ending wouldn't have had the heart that it did i agree you know so you absolutely had to have those uh you know, this is what I'm fighting for. This is what I'm fighting for. And ultimately, you realize they're fighting pretty much for the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're just too bullheaded to realize it. Basically. You know, a simple conversation could have put this to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and Duke does try. You know, Duke does, Absolutely. like, when he shows up, he tries to talk, but Joe is too... He's too angry. Mm-hmm. You know, he he got... He's been simmering with this anger for so long, and then he got pushed over the edge by Usagi. Yep. You know, by this manipulator. Um, even Duke didn't exactly, like, buy into Usagi's manipulation of, like, kill Joe and I'll let them go. Like, Duke was still trying to help Joe. Yeah. Joe bought into it. But then you have a character, um, Ben, who buys into it even more than Joe. Because, like, Ben is basically also the same sort of character as Joe. Duke killed someone that was very important to Ben. And Ben wants revenge against Duke. But the difference between those two is that Joe, in the, even in the conversation with Usagi, outright says, I won't hurt an innocent to get to Duke. Like, I won't do that. Whereas Ben, when we get to his scene, he's outright saying, if I gotta lose a parent, so does someone else. Like, he doesn't care. Yeah. And that's why he can't be redeemed. At least in this story. Your dad was a Nazi. Well, maybe that explains the Nazi flag hanging on the wall. Uh, yeah, that's a red flag. Red flag is my favorite <laughs> joke, I think. <laughs> a very literal red flag. Yes. <laughs> How long did you uh, train for your spots in the ring? Because it was a pretty nice uh, wrestling scene there in the end. Thank you. Uh well, so I also do, uh, I've worked for Marvel Live as Spider-Man for a while, which includes a lot of stage shows and arena shows, where we are basically doing a bunch of wrestling bumps, you know, like, except it's on hardwood or ice as opposed to a ring. Um, and so I mean, we don't get, so to, we don't get to be as, fair, the, the, the ring pretty much is hardwood, just with a little bit of padding above it. <laughs> dude, that makes all the difference. No, I know. Trust yeah. Me. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, like, I've always been, like, pretty familiar with a lot of the techniques and stuff, simply because I've been doing that since 2013, you know, you know, taking the back bumps, doing these moves. It's basically a lot of wrestling moves. Um, in 20, 
19, and then that got released in 2020, we shot a wrestling sequence of me versus this alien emperor in a Meowie Christmas vacation. And that was the first time I put wrestling into one of the movies. Um, and that one, that was a fun sequence uh, where we just did a lot of back and forth. And now when I was writing three, again, kind of taking inspiration for the Ben Affleck Batman, I was like, okay, well, this is where Joe saves someone. You know, this is where Joe kind of like crosses that line back into the light I don't have the techniques, the skill, or the money to do the Batman warehouse scene. So what can I do? Okay, she found him at a wrestling school and the bunnies have taken over several wrestlers. Now we can have an action sequence mm-hmm. in a way that I can actually, I know I can do myself, that I can afford, and would be safe. Um, so basically, you know, like, PB Smooth, you know, who plays Ben, he grabbed a couple people that he knows. I grabbed a couple people that I know. You know that I've known over the years, and we all met up. Uh, we just sort of sat. We got there like at 11 a.m. or something like that on the day of. I sat down and said, "Hey, everyone. You know, if you don't know me, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've worked for Marvel. My experience isn't zero, but you're all the experts. So I'm going to do what you tell me to do. We're going to just kind of talk and figure out what is the most comfortable for all of us and what we need to do. But we'll figure it out together. And they were all wonderful. Like they took such good care of me. You know, they showed me exactly what to do, especially for like the head scissors thing, which I haven't done before. Um, and it went really well. We actually shot that whole sequence in only four hours because of how smoothly it was going. And it was just a case of like, okay, he's got to slam me and leave. So that way it's just the four of us. And it was just a kind of a blocking case of like, okay, you're here, you're here, you're here, you're here. I knock you all down for that, you know, zoom in sequence on the drone. And what makes the most sense? You attack me first. What are you going to do? Okay, we film it. I'm down here. It's like, okay, you knocked me down. I'm here. What makes sense now? And I let kind of the wrestlers come mm-hmm. up with that. And that's, you know, when John did the drop kick, and then I was already in position. I'm sorry, that's when I got the spear. Then John did the drop kick, and then I was in position for the moonsault. And I was like, okay, so now I'm beating you up. So what makes the most sense here? It was like, okay, well, I just did the moonsault. So it would make sense if I picked you up. I'm like, great. So then I'll take you out first. And then you're right there. So you're trying to attack me. I'll take you out next. And then you're over here. So why don't you come at me? And then it just ended up with, you know, KDR Kent being the last one. And we just kept it simple. We didn't plan on the bunny flying off of her head in the take. But since it did, that's when I was like, no, we'll keep that. And we'll, let's get the shot of the bunny trying to run away. <laughs> and that's how we finished the scene. So that was just a happy accident. But that's how filmmaking goes sometimes, you know? Well, and it's funny, I'm watching this scene, and so, for listeners who don't know, I do commentary for a local wrestling, uh, indie wrestling promotion here in Omaha, and... I'm, That's cool, I didn't realize that either. I'm, I'm watching this scene, and occupational hazard, I start calling the match. <laughs> and it... it for me, it added an, a, just another layer of fun to it, you know, because it's something I like to do. So I'm watching the movie, I'm calling the match, you know, ends with that beautiful stunner, and then the bunny just kind of, mm. like, you know, and, and the bunny's off, you know, and, <laughs> you know, it just, it, it was a fun experience. Good. And you looked really good in the ring. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That is only the second time I've gone in the ring specifically. But everyone said I did a good job, and it didn't seem like they were lying, so I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you sold the moves really well, and it everything looked 
believable. Like, yeah, the head scissors looked great. That stunner was beautiful. So that that, that was. I will credit my selling to uh, being a Tokuzatsu fan and watching Power Rangers growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, like that learning like that, I emulated that whole body showing damage thing a lot as a kid growing up. Since they didn't have faces, yeah, you know, to show. Um, and obviously, I did that in Super Task Force One. But I feel and I but I kept that when I did the Spider Man stuff because it's the same thing. There's no face, so I got to right. go all big body. Especially if it's an arena show, I got to show that I'm hurting to the people, you know, up in the stands. Yep. And that's what wrestling is. So, you know, that's by accident a skill that I have fine tuned for years. So I'm glad that it actually comes out in a way that even you, you know, a guy like you that commentates specifically on this industry, say that I do a good job. You know, yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> I also noticed that uh, Robbie's a fan of Task Force One. Uh, yes. <laughs> Is that where his love of space comes from? <laughs> Maybe a little. Now, his love of space is he's having dreams about space without realizing their visions of the future. Canonically, that's exactly what it is. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where Robbie's life goes, because this movie kind of builds him, like, Usagi lays him out as kind of like the one. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's better than, you know, us. He's... You know, we have the power of the old gods. He's he's different. He's born of a human body. He's you know he he is the one. So I look. I really do look forward to seeing where Robbie's story takes him. Well, that is something we would, if we're able to. That is something we definitely want to explore more and get into, and kind of have that. You know, by the end of the sixth film, like, hey, actually, this entire series was about Robbie. Duke was just a means to an end, more or less. Yeah. Um. Because we, we definitely want to play with this idea of, you know, we do have the old these old gods. You know, they've actually been established in the Silver Spotlight movies for a while now, you know, mm-hmm. as far as back as Captain Z. Um, and, you know, there, it's this power beyond our comprehension, but at the same time, human potential is a similar level of power that is beyond comprehension. Uh, human Humans and humanity and life on Earth is something that kind of, at least in my world... Uh, came into existence naturally via the universe. You know, you know, humans are the universe sentient, the universe um, seeing itself. And what does that mean when you have that human potential mixed in with the the raw power and magic of the old gods? And Robbie is the one. You know, Robbie is one day the most powerful being in this universe. You know, in the Silver Spotlight universe. And what does that mean? How do we get to that? Uh, what does Robbie do with that is something that I would really love to play with and see what that means. Uh, four would be a little bit more uh, low-key. You know, we have more violence and gore in four with Duke trying to protect, uh, deal with a problem that Robbie accidentally started. Uh, but the movie is intended to end with Robbie being the one that really steps up and is immediately, you know, he finally is a teenager now. And even at that age, he is significantly more powerful than Duke has ever been. And that's where we would end for on if we ever got to make it. Sensing a lot of Gohan Goku energy here. Yes, that's a really good comparison. Yeah, that was not intended, but now that you know you're saying it out loud, that's exactly a really good yeah. comparison. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So we've wrapped up Duke's story arc. We've mm-hmm. seen Joe grow. What's next for you? 
take a break uh, from Carousel for a little bit and focus on other things? Or we're definitely going to take a break from Carousel. You know, um, you know, Carousel Four was a a stretch goal for the Kickstarter for three. You know, if we did reach that stretch goal, we would have been making four next year. Like no problem, we would have done that. We didn't make the stretch goal, which is fine. That means we can take a break. You know, we we intended this trilogy. This is what we wanted to do back when we first wrote the first movie. We can't believe we reached the end of this arc, so we we're fine with like kind of cleaning our hands for a while at least, so that it sits and it feels conclusive and everyone's content. Um, because like the last completely original movie I made was a Meowy Christmas in 2017. Ever since then, I've been doing sequels or adaptations. Like, don't get me wrong, Shingles the movie was new for me, but it's still an adaptation of books that someone else already wrote. It wasn't mm -hmm. something new that I came up with. Amityville Christmas Vacation, kind of new, but A, it's in a franchise. A franchise. I'm you doing air quotes if you're only yeah. listening at home. Um, and it's also technically another Meowie movie, because it stars Wally Griswold from the, from the Meowie movies. It's just without the cat anymore. So we haven't done anything really original since 2017, and I want to change that. So we're we're working on a script right now. You know, I'm already on page 35. I should be able to get almost all of it done within this week. Uh, it's going to be something. It's it's going to have parody elements, so it's not completely unfamiliar. But it is an original story with original characters that is not meant to be the start of a franchise. It's not meant to be the start of a series. It is a one and done film. That's going to be a Christmas horror film that we're very excited about. We've already written some really fun scenes in it. And the plan, pending a successful Kickstarter, is that we'll, we'll basically shoot two scenes of it this and next month while there's a bunch of Christmas stuff up outside. And then worry about shooting the core of the movie come May, when we can just shoot mostly indoors. And we like, we like this idea. So hopefully folks do support the Kickstarter. Hopefully folks do want to see this. The only concern is always... And this is something I'm always cynical and realistic with, you know. The Kickstarters for Carousel 2 and 3 were both, like, really hard uphill battles to get the money for them. And those are movies with an established fan base that wanted specifically more Duke. So we're just worried if we'll be able to do that with an original idea just because it's me and hopefully people like me and mm -hmm. what I do. Yeah. But we'll see. Like, it's, it's, it's such a crapshoot. You know, I see guys way more talented than me and successful than me that... You know, they fail their Kickstarters. But then I see, you know, Friday the 13th fan film make $200,000 or some shit, so. Yeah. Uh, do you know when that Kickstarter would be uh, starting? We will probably launch it uh, sometime in January or February, so that way we'll know ahead of time if we do get the budget so we can start, like, renting the locations and start the casting. Because this is just a personal preference, but I don't like to even bother worrying about casting until i know i have the money right because i don't want to waste actors times i don't want to like have them be saying like oh so when's the schedule i'm like i actually don't know because i don't have the money yet so i don't know when we can make it work because then at that point maybe they won't be available when i actually set the schedule so we just wasted everyone's time um but that would be the plan january february is when we'll launch the kickstarter we'll run it for a month and then it'll be the same thing you know we'll try to reach you know make ten thousand dollars that's a nice number that we're able to make a decent movie with, you know, after Kickstarter fees, um, especially because we already own so much of the equipment. Um, it'll be something where, like, 
I and Aline will shoot it. I'll edit it so we don't have to worry about paying as many of the crew members so we can put more money into the effects and the locations as opposed to needing to hire, you know, mm -hmm. an editor and a cinematographer and stuff like that. Well, make sure you send me the link and we'll uh, definitely promote it. Oh, absolutely. And thank you. I'll be pushing that like a very loud carnival barker. Yeah, and it just means you've uh, secured yet another spot on an another 13 horrifying days of Christmas. <laughs> Uh, so, before we wrap this up, where can listeners uh, keep up to date and watch for the link for that next Kickstarter? Of course. Well, uh, you can check out my store where I sell all of my physical media. That is silverspotlightfilms.com. That is where the DVDs are. That is where the Blu-rays are. Uh, that's also where we have the deck building games um, based on the Carousel movies and the Meowy movies and even Shingles. Uh, those are a lot of fun. If you don't have a player... Or you don't want to spend a bunch of money on physical, I get it. The economy is rough. Uh, I do have a Patreon, stevebuster.com. That is where you can access, uh, for $2.99, my entire modern library, plus a couple of exclusives for $2.99 a month. Or if you wanted to pay $4.99 a month, that includes a bunch of older movies I don't sell anymore because I think they're garbage, but my fans wanted them because they hate me. Um, and every bonus feature I've ever made as well as more exclusives that are just on the service that, you know, like it'll be like a two-hour retrospective about the Meowie movies that Bill Murphy and I recorded that's just there. And there's also a Discord access at the $5 mark. They're all permanent digital links. You can sub for a month, bookmark them, keep them, and unsub. I don't mind. I don't care. Just please don't share the links. That is my only request to people. That's it. If you can't afford the Patreon right now, I get it. The next best way to check out my films officially while also supporting me is on tubi all of my features are on tubi they're all available there tubi is a free streaming service that is ads based please don't use ad blocker at least give me that five cents for you watching my hundreds of hours of work um but that's a good way to check out all my stuff if you just want to try it out and see if you like it before you sub to the patreon or buy one of the blu-rays i totally get that and as for keeping an eye on like news and what have you you can follow me on Facebook, you know, just look me up, Steve Rodzinski. I think I'm the wearing a black suit Superman in my profile picture right now. That'll probably get changed for the Christmas season. Um, or you can find me on Twitter, at Steve Rodzinski. And those are the two places I post most often when it comes to actual news and updates. There is also the Silver Spotlight Films Facebook page, but that gets updated a little less just because the algorithm is way worse for pages than it is for a person on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And listeners, as always, I will post those links in the episode description for easy access. And you can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com. Or if you're just looking for me, head over to Facebook, YouTube, and X at Moose Media Inc. Just look for the moose. Steve, once again, this has been a blast. I can't Thank wait until the next so time we do this. Me. Oh, you're more than welcome. Yeah, I'm, now I'm really looking forward to the next time to see what this new project is. I think you'll like it. Yeah, you know, and you know, listeners, tune in tomorrow for another uh, installment of the 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. Tomorrow is actually my top 13 moments from the last four and a half years of podcasting leading up oh, to wow. the uh, 100th episode. So, come back tomorrow for uh, a little uh, retrospective. And until next time, Horror Hounds. Bye.
Mash on.